I remember when, uh, when Hurricane Arthur came through. Anybody remember Hurricane Arthur a couple of years ago? Uh, now I, I didn't take Arthur seriously. I had an uncle, a great uncle. My grandfather's brother was named Arthur. Just a sweet, mild man, a gentle man. And so to me, Arthur was just going to be a breeze. Uh, no, Arthur had some bite, didn't he? And Arthur came through, and he, uh, he took our power out of our house for eight days. Eight days. My wife and I decided at that time that if the zombie apocalypse ever happens, we're just going to like, we're just going to give in early because we're not, we don't stand a chance. We just, it's not, we're not going to be the long-term survivors. It's just not going to happen. We just need electricity and that's the way it is. But what I've come to notice in my life, using this analogy of electricity is like whenever the power goes out, you notice when it's not there, don't you? Like, it's not like you, you, you're you going about your business and it takes you a while to notice, oh, is the power off? Like, as soon as it goes off, you know, don't you? Even in the daytime, you don't even have the lights on when the power goes off, like those sounds you didn't know were going stop going, right? The fridge stops running and then it's just dead silence and it's that eerie, disconnected feeling you get. You notice when the power's gone, don't you? Because you've come to be accustomed to living a life dependent upon power. And the same is true in the Christian life. For those of you who maybe have been serving Jesus or following Jesus and you've encountered the actual tangible power of God, you notice it when it's not there. You notice it when you go into an environment where, where maybe the power of God is, it doesn't have the permission it normally has to move and operate. I, I noticed it this past week. I was really privileged, actually, to be able to give a talk at a leadership event we hosted here at the church. It was a lot of fun. It was a great event, really well done. And it had all kinds of leaders from across the city of St. John, and I got to share a part in it. Had fun, but I'll tell you something. I, I definitely felt like something was missing. Because usually when I get up and I speak to a crowd, I'm speaking on the authority of the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit is moving through me and I've become accustomed to that. And so I felt very uncomfortable with this environment. I know, although I know God used me and God was getting me through that, you understand, I felt as though I was missing a source of power that I usually wield every time I speak. When you become accustomed to what power does and how it functions in your life, you notice when it's not there. I was talking to the band last week, actually along those lines, the, the band uh, after the first service came downstairs and we were like, wow, that was awesome. It was just powerful, wasn't it? And somehow we got on that conversation of, you know, I've been to, I've been to massive concerts that don't have the power that we have right here in this room when we turn our voices and our hearts to Jesus. There's a power that comes that no concert or no, no ingenuity of man, no excellence of musicianship can ever fabricate or manufacture is the power of God. See, when, when, when you've taken the power, when you have experienced the power of God in your life, you notice if it's not there. You notice if it's not there. But you know who doesn't notice if there's no power is someone who's never experienced it. Like, can you imagine somebody like from the, the deep recesses of the Amazon jungle? When, when Hurricane Arthur comes through, they didn't notice. You guys lose power for eight days? How'd you make out? Like, they, they didn't notice that. But can you imagine, though, let's just play a parable out, a modern-day parable. Can you imagine if this, this gentleman from the last untouched tribes of the Amazon jungle, uh, he decided to hop on a plane, he's going to get a fresh start, and he drives uh, to the nearest airport in Brazil, and he, and he hops on a plane and comes to Quispam Sis, and he finds out that there's that lottery home going up for sale or whatever, and so he puts his name in the ballot, and he wins. 
And then you see, and you live across the street, and you see this guy from the Amazon jungle who's never been accustomed to the power uh, of, of electricity. You see him move in, and it's this beautiful home. It's got all the awesome features of a beautiful modern-day home. It's got a two-car garage with the electric doors. It's got heated floors. It's got the big flat-screen TV. It's got the most uh, up-to-date, awesome stuff that a house could have. But you watch him move in, and you watch him for the next several weeks, and you realize there's never a light turned on. You've never seen the garage door open. They don't have any lights outside. And so finally you walk across the street and you introduce yourself and you ask the guy, uh, do you have power? And he says, power, what's that? You see, that's a parable though of how a lot of individuals live their Christian life. A lot of us as believers, our lives, we have, we've built up this home, this residence. We've laid the foundation of God's word. We've built up some of the truth about God. We've started to live our lives the way of a Christian, and yet we have not been connected to the power source that brings life to the whole thing. I want to talk to you today about the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer and in the life of the church. We have now been tracking for the last few weeks through a series called The Code of Kings, and the Code of Kings is essentially just a fancy way to talk about who we are and our core values, what we actually believe. Like every so often, it's important that we kind of reestablish what are the non-negotiables about this house, about our family. Who are we? What defines us? And so the first week we said this, that we are people who realize we live in this greater reality of the kingdom of God and Jesus is our king. Can I get an Amen. And then the second week we talked about now, it's not just that we live in this realm of the kingdom of God, but in fact, we have poured the foundation of our existence. We talked about building the house on solid rock. We've poured the foundation of our existence on the rock of God's word. And we stand, we said, on the word. That is our second code but for king and kingdom, on the word. And then last week we talked about this, that that we aren't just supposed to believe in the king and believe in the word, but this is actually going to work itself out in how we live our lives. And we talked about how when our life starts to take shape and take form, it's going to look a little bit different than other people's lives. So we said that our third code is this, that we, we've just decided to be different. We are going to be decidedly different. There are things about us that we just know they're going to be peculiar. They're going to be strange in this world because we are no longer from here. We are from a different place. And so we talked about this, that as your life takes shape, it takes a different form. And now we come to a, a critical component. These are all connected to one another. And today's code is this, by the Spirit, by the Spirit. Here's our statement. The Holy Spirit is the power at work in us to live the kingdom life. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Can you read that out loud with me so I know you're tracking? It says this, the Holy Spirit is the power at work in us to live the kingdom life. Apart from him, we can do nothing. We are a Holy Spirit-filled church. We are a spirit-led, spirit-driven, spirit-anointed people. We are the people of God anointed by the Holy Spirit. We believe in a God not just who is, but a God that we can know. We don't settle for just knowing about God. Our desire is that we come to know God in our day-to-day -day life, in our, in our waking, in our sleeping, in our working, in our playing. We want to know God in every part of our lives. We believe God can be known, and the way you can know and encounter God is through the Holy Spirit. 
We do not settle just to believe that there is a king, his name is Jesus, or even to believe that his word is true, but we actually want to know God in our day-to-day lives. We live life by the Spirit. We have come to realize that we need power to live the life of the kingdom. I left off last week with a little bit of tension and I didn't fully answer the question, how do we live that peculiar life? And I wanted to set us up to get here to this point today. The way that you live the kingdom life is through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of the presence of God in your life. You cannot accomplish the life that God has designed you to live apart from the Holy Spirit. But a lot of believers, their house has no power. They've built up this existence upon the word of God. They believe. They're even trying their best to do the stuff that the word tells them. They're, they're going to church and they're, they're praying their prayers and they're doing things and yet they've never actually connected in to the very tangible living power of the presence of God. They don't know the power. They have the form without the function. Uh, Paul actually warned Timothy about this, how this is what would happen to many Christians. He said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he said, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful. They'll consider nothing sacred. They'll be unloving and unforgiving. They'll slander others. They'll have no self-control. That must be a future day. That doesn't sound like our day at all. They'll be cruel and they'll hate what is good. They'll betray their friends and be reckless. They'll be puffed up with pride and they'll love pleasure rather than God. Now here it is, verse five. They'll act religious. Another, another translation, I kind of wish I was using it, says they'll have a form of godliness. They'll look the part. They'll act religious. They'll do the stuff. They'll go to church. They'll act religious, but they will reject the power that could actually make them godly. They'll have a form of godliness, but they'll reject the power that actually makes them godly. They're a house with no electricity. They're the the form without the function. You see, our God is a God to be known. He desires to fill what he forms. That's a principle throughout the Bible. God fills what he forms. Get that in your mind. If God forms a life, he fills it. If God forms a church, he fills it. That's, that's what he does. Think about this. Throughout the, throughout the Old Testament, if you have a Bible, you go home and read it in Genesis. In chapter 1, page 1 of your Bible, it tells us that the earth was formless and void, correct? Then it says that God formed the heavens and the earth and he filled it with life. God formed the seas and he filled it with fish. God formed the lands and he filled it with vegetation and livestock. God forms the tabernacle. He tells Moses, I want to build this dwelling place. And he forms the tabernacle and he fills it with furniture. He forms the holy of holies and he fills it with glory. Whatever God forms, he fills and he did it to humanity as well. Genesis chapter 2, God forms the man, it says, and he breathed his breath into him. He filled him with breath. Now, he's, we're not talking about, we're not talking about breath here. The, the, the Hebrew word is the word ruach. You got to get that hawk in there. Ruach. And the Hebrew word ruach means breath, but it more means spirit. And what it says right in the beginning of the book, it says that God made humanity and filled humans with his very presence, the spirit of God. Now, if you keep reading and you get to page three or chapter three, we find out that sin enters the picture and it disconnects us from the presence of God. 
That's what sin does. Sin disconnects us. And then you see throughout the Old Testament, it's all pointing to the person of Jesus. Do you ever know what the Bible's about? The Bible's about who? Yeah, the answer in church is always Jesus. Pro tip. Yeah, the Bible's about Jesus, and it's pointing to Jesus the whole way. And then Jesus comes on the scene. You see him baptized. He gets baptized for our benefit, not his. And what happens when Jesus is baptized, the the, the writers tell us that I saw the heavens open up and the voice of the Lord, the Father, spoke out and I saw the Holy Spirit descend upon him like a dove, giving us a model and a picture of what our lives are to look like. We are to be people who carry the Holy Spirit. Jesus later on, he he was with his disciples the night before he was going to be betrayed and all the things were going to start kicking into gear and he said this, I'm going. I'm leaving. Now, can you imagine if you're one of the 12 disciples and you've been that close in proximity to Almighty God and the person of Jesus, and he tells you, like, I mean, you've picked up all the truth off of him. You've felt the love of God. You've seen his miracles. You've experienced the power and presence of God. They had experienced the presence and proximity of God, and now he tells them, I got to go. I'm leaving. But, and then they all freak out, and what's he say? He says, don't be afraid. It's better that I go. It's better that I go because when I go, I am going to send the gift of my Father to you. And I am going to dwell in you. You see, Jesus raised to heaven, sent the Spirit so that his very presence could actually dwell within us, not just around us. Jesus said, it's actually far better that I go because now you can carry the presence of Almighty God in you and upon you. You don't just have to follow me in my body. I'm everywhere and I'm in you said, you'll do even greater things than I've done. And then we find what happens. Jesus goes to the cross. He dies. He rises again. He spends some days with his disciples. And then he, he about, before he leaves them, he gives them this commandment. He says in Acts chapter one, do not leave Jerusalem. You need to go and sit there and wait. Do not try this at home. Don't leave Jerusalem until you get the gift my father has sent you. Don't do this without power is essentially what he's saying. He's saying, don't try this without my presence. So you're going to wait until the gift of my father comes. And then we read in Acts chapter two, where they were waiting in the upper room and the sound like a mighty rushing wind came in and the Holy Spirit landed upon the church and you see everything start to shift. You saw these disciples who were people who believed the right things, but they had no power and now they're operating in power. They're transforming, they're, they're, they're preaching the gospel. Peter, Peter, this guy who was a coward, the Spirit falls upon him, rests within him and on him. He leaves the room, he goes out and he starts preaching the gospel and thousands of people are saved. That's what happens when the power of God is switched on in your life. And that's what you see happen on the day of Pentecost. That's when the church plugs into power. And that's the design of the church. And that's the design of every believer. Peter went out and he he spoke to the crowd and he said, the prophet Joel told us that in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. You need to hear this today, church, that God's design for you, God's design for me, God's design for us is to take us much, much deeper than just believing that there is a God, much deeper than just believing that Jesus died for my sins. He actually wants to drive you deep into an experience where you know God, where you have experienced him, where you've heard his voice 
where you've felt his touch, you've seen him perform miracles, where you've seen him move in power. That is the design of every Christian, not just that special person, not just that person with a title. Every believer, the design is that you would receive the breath of God, the Ruach, back into your life. That's what you have been created for. We live our lives by the Spirit. Now, I want to just spend a couple minutes, and I want to help some of you, because I know we've got a, a growing group of people here, and, you, and we're from a variety of backgrounds and traditions. Some of you grew up on this side of the church, some of you grew up on that side of the church, and then a lot of you, thank God, you, 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 you're brand new to this whole thing. And so I want to just teach for a couple minutes about who is the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? Because I think there's a ton of confusion when it comes to who the Holy Spirit is. Some people have written him off. Some people have a bad idea of who he is and what he does. And so for just a minute, if you'd permit me, I'm going to speak on who the Holy Spirit is. Can I do that? Good. Okay, here we go. <laughs> who is the Holy Spirit? I have three kind of things I want you to get about him today if you're taking notes. First and foremost, you need to understand this about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Now, this is going to bend your brain a little bit. This is a little bit outside of what you're going to wrap your head around. This concept of what we call, and you might have heard this before in the church, maybe you haven't, the Trinity. The Trinity is the Godhead. It's the fact that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are three in one. It is hard to wrap your head around. But you know what? I would not be comfortable with a God that I can fully understand. It's a little outside of what I can wrap my head around, but you need to understand the Bible talks about God in three persons, three unique persons, but they're also one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now they are, in, they are not in descending order, although one came after the other. The Father begot the Son, the Son begot the Spirit, but they aren't, it, the Holy Spirit is not the JV God. He's not riding the bench. You know, like it's not like God the Father's the all-star and then Scottie Pippen's Jesus and then they got like Luke Longley. That's not, that's not any, any 1996 Bulls references. Okay, uh, I should have gone hockey, I know. But you need to understand this. When we get talking about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not like when we say the third member of the Trinity, it's not that he's any less God. He is fully God. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, he is almighty God. And he shares all the same attributes that, that God the Father and God the Son share. All the power and might of the Father, the, the creator God, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. He's all-knowing. He, he's, he's creative. He's powerful. He's holy. He's righteous. That's God the Father, but it's also the Son and the Spirit. They are one and the same. The Spirit has all the same attributes as the Father, all the same attributes as the Son, all the beautiful grace and truth of Jesus, the mercy, the compassion that he demonstrated and poured out, that servant king, that is also the Holy Spirit. They are one in three, three in one. They are the same. That is the Trinity. When you get thinking about the Holy Spirit, anything less than he is almighty God is incorrect. Holy Spirit is God Almighty. The, the, the Bible often uses the Father, the Son, and the Spirit interchangeably. You see it in Acts chapter 5, where Peter, later on, if you're reading the book of Acts, this is the craziest story in Acts, where this man and wife, they basically try to lie and cheat the church, and they drop dead. Anybody remember Ananias and Sapphira? That one will twist your brain a little bit. And uh, the, the, Peter actually says to them, he says, you have lied to God, you have lied to the Holy Spirit. He uses them interchangeably. Jesus at one point says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. We are three and we are one. 
So you have to understand that when we get talking about the Holy Spirit, because I have been in environments where people mistake the proximity of the Holy Spirit as, as, as accessibility and such that he's, he's kind of on our plane, that, that we can kind of take him or leave him. I, I find it interesting how prone we are to, to think down of the Holy Spirit, to, to think that he can be ignored, that we can kind of just turn our back on him and we just kind of focus on the Father and the Son. Many of you grew up God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Bible. But the Holy Spirit is fully God. He's fully God. He is God Almighty. He has all the same qualities. I think for some of us too, we, we get freaked out about this idea of the Holy Spirit because we don't really know what he's like. And we get in environments like at a church where we're asking the Holy Spirit to move. We get a little uncomfortable because we don't know what's the Holy Spirit like. Like, is he like the crazy cousin? Like that's... But you need to take comfort in the fact that all those qualities that have endeared your soul to Jesus are consistent in the Holy Spirit. The things that you love about Jesus are true about the Holy Spirit. The things that you are, are the things that uh, cause your, your soul to quake a little bit about the Father are true of the Holy Spirit. The, the, he, they are one and the same. The Holy Spirit is God. Second idea is this, though. When we get talking about the Holy Spirit, He's God, He is Spirit. The Holy Spirit is spirit. That he, he is formless when it comes to talking about matter. The Holy Spirit is spirit. That's why when you see in the New Testament, the, the, the writers are trying to describe something they can't fully quantify because he's spirit. That's why they said, I saw the spirit come down like a dove. It Was it a dove? No. It just kind of, it was like, like a dove come down upon Jesus. That's why when on the day of Pentecost, it was like a rushing wind. Was it a rushing wind? No, it was like a rushing wind. It was like tongues of fire. Was it tongues of fire? No, it was like it. He's a spirit. He's spirit. He's not matter. He's not physical. He's not matter. You can't touch it. You can't taste it. You can't see or smell. However, just because something doesn't take weight or shape or color or form does not mean it is not fully real. Just because something is invisible does not mean it is fully real. You know that to be true. What's holding you to the floor right now? Gravity. The Spirit of God, although invisible, is tangible. He can be felt. He can be sensed. But the way that you sense the Spirit is not through the regular factors that you are used to. You do not sense Him through your sense of sight or, 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 or sound or touch or smell or taste. You sense Him through the Spirit. This is what Paul was talking about. 1 Corinthians 2, he says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit, for their folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. You sense the spirit through your spirit. That's why I've seen so many people at church, they don't have the language. They'll come in and they'll find themselves in tears and they'll feel their heart almost being like pulled out of their chest and they don't really know what that is. That's the spirit being sensed. And sometimes it will take, it'll touch other senses in your body, but the Holy Spirit is sensed by the spirit. Jesus said in John 14, the Holy Spirit who leads to all truth, the world cannot receive him because it's not looking for him. It doesn't recognize him. It's through the eyes of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is spirit. Second thing, Holy Spirit is a person. This is so important, and this is probably one of the most important things I want to just give to you today as a church, that I want you to know that the Holy Spirit is a person, an individual that you get to know and encounter and follow. 
The Holy Spirit is not a force. He's not a force that fills all things. This is not pantheism. This is not Star Wars, as cool as that is. This is not Star Wars. He's not midi-chlorians. You're not Obi-Wan Kenobi, and you cannot manipulate the force. Anybody, just be honest, you're in church, look up here. Have you ever tried to use the force? <laughs> it's not Holy Spirit, though. The Holy Spirit, you can't manipulate. He's not some skill that you develop that you can control. The Bible actually says you don't control the Spirit, you're controlled by the Spirit. The Spirit is God, the Spirit is in charge. You are the, you are the vessel by which He operates, not the other way around. It's so important that you understand that because I have seen, and even in Christian circles, Different religious worldviews float into how we think about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's an individual. He's not a force. He's not this mist that, that floods everything. He is not karma. It's not what goes around comes around. He's not luck. He is a person, an actual individual, as tangible as Jesus. He has a will. He has a mind. He can be grieved. He can be insulted. He can be resisted. The Holy Spirit can be lied to. The same way that we engage one another, the Holy Spirit is an individual to be known. He is not a feeling. He's not enthusiasm. He's not joy. He's not like, oh, that was spirited. No, he's an, he's an individual. He is a person. He's not the personification of God either. That's something you need to watch in how you think about the Holy Spirit. He's not Jack Frost. You know how Jack Frost is the personification of winter. The Holy Spirit is not the personification of God. He is God, and he is a person. The Holy Spirit is God. He is spirit. He is an individual. He is a person, and we are controlled by the Spirit. So in the couple minutes I have, that's who the Holy Spirit is. Now, why am I so excited about the Holy Spirit? I want to answer one more question before we pray and we're done. Are, are you awake and are you with me? I want, I want to talk just one second. Okay. Who is the Holy Spirit? Now, Now, what does the Holy Spirit do in our lives? Why does this matter? Why do we believe that we, we actually need a life connected to the Holy Spirit, this, this power? Why does it matter? What does the Holy Spirit do? I'm going to go fast. So if you're taking notes, write these down. The first thing the Holy Spirit does is he provides perspective on reality. It's the Holy Spirit's job and role in your life. He actually is the one that reshapes how you think. He is the one that illuminates and, and changes your mind. He is the one that, that, that began that whole concept that, that started to snowball in your mind that maybe there is a God or maybe this is destructive for me or maybe there is something more out there. It's the Holy Spirit that actually reveals that reality. That's why Jesus said he is the one who will reveal all truth. The Holy Spirit. So, so if you, anybody, has anybody grown in their relationship with Christ in the last year? Just raise your hand. Testify to someone. Yeah. Well, the, the one who has grown and expanded your experience and expanded your mind is actually the work of the Holy Spirit. He is the one. That's what Romans 12, 2 says, be transformed by the changing, by the renewing of your mind. Change how you think. It's the Holy Spirit that actually changes your mind. The Holy Spirit provides perspective. He also, this is one of the main functions of the Spirit. He doesn't just illuminate, but the Holy Spirit's ultimate job, his ultimate goal is this. He points us and pushes us to the Son. The role of the Holy Spirit, the primary thing that the Holy Spirit is trying to do in your life is to cause you, through whatever thing he does, to cause you to come to the place where you are deeper in love and awe and adoration for Jesus Christ. That is the ultimate function of the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit does not come here to impress us. He does not heal to impress us. He does not reveal truth to impress us. These are, these are just means. They are not the end. The end game for the Spirit, and it's so important we know this as a church, the end game for the Spirit in your life is Jesus adored. That's his whole motivation, is to reveal the Son. So, so depending on the upbringing, when I say we want to be a Holy Spirit-filled church, I very much mean that. I very much mean Jesus, Holy Spirit, come out how you want. But here's how you know if the Holy Spirit is active in your church. It's not because you see signs and wonders, although that may happen. Lord, let it happen. It's not because you see these things that, that, are, that maybe you, you associate with the Holy Spirit. The mark of a Holy Spirit-filled church is a church that loves, adores, worships, glories in, and revels in Jesus. That is the mark of a spirit-filled church. And so many people get tripped up on these, on these signs and these manifestations of the spirit, and they think that's what a spirit-filled church looks like. That is not. A spirit-filled church is a church that is so head over heels with Jesus. If you come to a service here and you leave more in love with Jesus, the spirit's been at work. If you're singing a song and you find your heart just being overcome with the, just the grace and the mercy of Jesus, the Spirit's doing his job. When we say, Holy Spirit, come, we can know he's come and he's done his work. If, if you find your, love, your, your heart swelling with love for Jesus, that is what the Holy Spirit does. He is here to reveal the Son. He is here to call the whole world to find salvation in the Son. He is the very mechanism that actually draws us to salvation. That's why I find it, this might have confused people in the past. You ever find that text where in the, Jesus said, the only unforgivable sin is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? What's he talking about? He's not talking about like cussing the Holy Spirit out. He's talking about the rejection of the Holy Spirit is the one thing that actually cuts you off from the salvation, the, the open, unending mercy of Jesus. See, when you reject the Holy Spirit, you're rejecting the very mechanism that calls you and pushes you to salvation in Christ. That is what he does. He pushes us and points us and prods us to Christ. A Holy Spirit church is Jesus-centered. A Holy Spirit church is Jesus-centered. We preach Jesus. We sing Jesus. We celebrate Jesus. We love Jesus. Our, the, the goal is that we see more people come to know Jesus, not that we see these manifestations of the Spirit. And I don't know what your background is, but that, some churches, they get pulled into, you know, we need to see the Spirit, and it needs to come in this way. That's not what we're saying. We want to welcome the Spirit, and we're looking for the fruit of the Spirit that is salvation in Christ. That's what, that's what we're after. But we're okay with the Holy Spirit coming how he wants. But he pushes us and draws us to salvation. Here's the other thing he does. Are you still awake? I could talk about this all day. I'm, I'm telling you, one of these days, a 10-hour sermon's coming. Uh, he, he produces fruit. This is such a liberating thing if you're ready to surrender to the fact that you are never going to be able to willpower your life to transformation. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. It is the work of the indwelling of the presence of God, the, the manifest grace of God and the person and work of the Holy Spirit taking root in your life that transforms you. How many of you have, maybe, maybe you started following Jesus years ago and you realize, okay, these are the things that I need to do in order to be a good Christian. And you tried to do them and you realize my heart doesn't want those things. It's the Holy Spirit that gets root in your heart that actually 
transforms you from the inside out. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul talked about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, he says this, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. Love, he produces joy. When the Spirit's there, he produces peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How many of you could use a little of that? But here's the thing. It's the spirit that produces this fruit. We get this mixed up, and here's how. You'll have a day where you, maybe, maybe something happened in your life, and you've got anxiety about it. And so you think, I need to pray that God gives me more peace. No. You need to invite the Holy Spirit deeper into your soul and into your situation who produces peace. There's a difference. Maybe you're struggling with a certain sin, a certain temptation that you keep falling to. And you say, God, give me more self-control. You don't need more self-control. You need more of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life who produces self-control. There's a big shift there. I hope you see it. That's why Paul said it's the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits of the Spirit. This isn't superstore. You can't go down the produce aisle and say, I'm going to take a little bit of joy today. I'm going to take some peace and some patience and some kindness. And, ooh, gentleness is ripe today. That's not how it works. The Holy Spirit is the one-stop shop that as you invite him deeper into your soul, he takes up root and he produces fruit. That's very freeing. You have one job to invite the Holy Spirit deeper into your life and he is the one that transforms you. Hallelujah. That's so freeing. Because how many of us, if you grew up like I, like I did in the church, like how many of us, like I try harder, I try harder, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta beat this thing. And I have found that as the Holy Spirit takes up more and more resonance in my life, these things that I've strove for and these things that I've worked so hard to try to accomplish, they just fall off. It's a beautiful thing when the Holy Spirit gets permission to move in your soul. He produces fruit. Final thought is this, and then we're going to pray. The Holy Spirit is present power. He is present power in us and through us. This idea of empowering grace that is actually the Holy Spirit's pleasure and, and he is very much able to actually provide you power in your place of weakness. He, 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 this, is what, this is what Paul meant when he prayed in, in 2 Corinthians 12 or 1 Corinthians 12 where he talked about, I had a thorn in my flesh. I had this thing that was ailing me and bothering me and I prayed three times that God would remove it and then, then the spirit of Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. You see, the Holy Spirit tops us up in our weakness. If you are unable to do a certain thing or you lack the resources or you lack the capacity, it's the Holy Spirit in us that actually gives us that top up. He is the very present power. People who are filled with the Spirit, there should be some evidence of it. People who walk in the Spirit, there, there should be some evidence of it. There is actual, tangible, living, breathing power in the Holy Spirit through believers. How does that happen? How does that work out? It works out, well, one, he is comfort. He comforts. The Greek word for the Holy Spirit is the paraclete, the comforter. 
That's actually one of the things. Has anybody ever experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in your time of need where you needed comfort and you felt the Spirit just come in and rush in? I have felt that. It's a beautiful, amazing thing. I remember one time I was sitting in my, in my living room and I was just reading uh, about Jesus and I, I remember just, just, God, I just need a touch from you. And I kid you not, and this doesn't always happen. I don't want you to leave here thinking if I do this, this will happen too. But I kid you not, I felt a presence overwhelm me and just rest on me and hold me. The Holy Spirit does that. He comforts us in our time of need. That's what he does. And I have walked with so many of you through very dark days, and I have seen the presence of the Holy Spirit carry you through. doesn't mean you don't still feel the thorn, but he is faithful to be there. That's why Paul said, the peace that passes understanding will guard your hearts in Christ Jesus. It's not just this idea of peace. It's a very tangible peace that actually can come in the Holy Spirit. He comforts us. He teaches us the truth. We talked about that. He equips us. I love this idea. I'm going to teach more on this another day, but he he equips the church. It's the Holy Spirit that does that. The church, God meant for the church to be the most powerful organization and operation on the planet. Yes. He meant for the church to be potent to be powerful. That's why Paul said, I didn't come to you with persuasive words. I came to you with a demonstration of the Holy Spirit. And the church is to be that, that God actually equips his church through the power of the Holy Spirit. He gives us the right words. One time Jesus said, don't worry about what you'll say. At the right time, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and he'll give you the right words. Have you ever actually heard a word from someone that you knew wasn't from them, it was from God? It rattles your soul. Have you ever had, quote unquote, a word, the rhema word, where someone came to you? So I've had people come to me where God gave them a dream and they told me the dream and it just messed me up. Because when God speaks to you, stuff happens. God actually equips the church to be his mouthpiece. Did you know you can speak the word of the Lord through the power of the Holy Spirit and you can actually change things? It's amazing. He equips his people. He gives us the right words. The the Bible also tells us that he actually gives us a spiritual gift. Do you know that every believer has a gift? That you're not just here to, you know, to to receive from my gift or, or someone else's gift, but you, you there have a gift. Every believer has a gift. God has equipped you for us to come together in all of our collective giftedness that he has given us by the Holy Spirit to be a powerful, living, breathing operation in this world. Every believer has a gift. He equips us. He is supernatural power. He is freedom. The Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. It's the Holy Spirit that can in one moment, in one instant, break the bondage and break chains. The Holy Spirit can heal. We saw someone healed last night. He still heals. He does that. But here's the thing. The healings will start coming when we have, when we have trusted that the end game is ultimately Jesus. I think sometimes the reason when we pray for healing, we don't see anything happen is because God knows we're going to glorify the sign and not the sun. But if a healing happens, it's to happen to show the authority of Jesus. That's another teaching for another day. But he still heals. He gives us power to overcome. And probably one of the greatest things that the Holy Spirit does in your life is he gives you assurance. He assures your soul. He he reminds you who you are. There's an intimacy that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit that tells you you're saved. It tells you you're a son. It tells you you're accepted. It doesn't come in condemnation. It doesn't come in fear. 
It actually calls you deeper into God. That's what, that's what Paul meant in Romans chapter 8, where, where he said, uh, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you have received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. See, the spirit calls us to intimacy. If you, if you find yourself growing in intimacy with God, finding your relationship with God more endearing, more intimate, the Holy Spirit is at work in you. That's what he does. The Holy Spirit is present power in your life. You were made for the presence and power of God. And so I just wanted to throw out who he is and what he does because I wanted to, if I could, like whet your appetite for the, that, to tell you that there's more. There's more to being a Christian than coming to church. There's more to being a Christian than just believing the right things, although those things are important. God has an actual living, breathing faith for you to experience. Your faith should be functional. You should pass from knowing about God to knowing God. I had a really interesting exchange a couple weeks ago with a businessman in the city. We were talking about some, something relating to the church, and he's a believer. Uh, but something unique happened. We we're talking and we we're engaging, and, and he kind of stopped me in my tracks, and he said, you're kind of spiritual, aren't you? And I, I said, yeah, <laughs> kind of am. <laughs> and I go, what, can I ask, what do, you, what do you mean by that? He goes, well, like, we're talking here, and you're talking like, like God's here too. You're talking like God's part of this conversation. I go, well, I believe that he is. I believe that God is living in me, and he's moving through me, and he's informing me, and he's guiding me. And he said, that's, he goes, that's interesting, because I, I believe I have for a long time, and I do my best to follow God's rules, and I follow the Ten Commandments, and I believe that God blesses me when I do that. And that's how I live my life. I said, well, that's better than most. I said, you know what? God will bless you for following his word. A person would do real well just to do the stuff the Bible says. You'll be blessed for it. But I said, I believe in a God that's more, uh, that God wants to, you to know him, not just know about him. And that I believe in a God that's not just this distant, faraway God who maybe gave you this Bible that you can open up and it can help guide you through your day-to-day. -day. I believe in a God who's actually here. And if you give him permission, he will be here and he will be on you. He'll move through you and you can know God wherever you are, whenever you are. Our God is a God to be known. My question for you today is this. Do you know God? Have you ever experienced God? Because this church, we, we are not a church that just believes in philosophy. This is not self-help. This is not a TED talk. I am telling you, there is a God. He had a son named Jesus who died for the sins of the world, who raised the life, who raised to victory in the resurrection. He ascended to heaven and he poured out his spirit so that you and I, through his grace, could know the power of God in our day. That we could live and walk with the power and presence of God. I want to pray for us. But I just want to ask that question. Have you ever experienced the presence of God through the Holy Spirit? How's your house? Have you been building this beautiful new house of faith? But have you connected into power that actually makes it function? Have you allowed God to fill the form? See, we are a church who believes that the way that we be the church and the way that we be the believers is by the power of the Holy Spirit. I want the Spirit of God to be the, 
defining factor on my life, on this church. I do not want people, and I think by God's grace this is happening, but I don't want people when they come to this church to leave saying, wow, that band was talented. That preacher actually kept my attention and didn't fall asleep. I want the people who are part of this church or attend this church to say there's something else going on there. I felt something pulling at my heart that I I don't even know what that was. Every time I see someone leave here who looks semi-confused and teary-eyed, I'm saying, yes. That's what we're after. We're after an environment where the Holy Spirit lives and moves and operates. I want this house to be a house that the Spirit of God indwells and moves and operates in power and in truth. I want my kids to grow up in a way that the Holy Spirit isn't this foreign concept, but they know the voice. Like Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. I want my sons and my daughter to know the Spirit of God because they they sense it in me. They sense him on me. I don't want it to be this stranger. I want them to know the power of God. And I want you to know the power of God in your life, in your business, in your relationships, in your marriage. This is a present, tangible faith. So I want to invite you to stand. I'm just going to pray for us. And for some of you, I want to just pray that maybe this is the first time you've ever thought about this. And I'm I'm not trying to force you into anything. I just want to pray that God would set you up this week. To, to know that this is more than just philosophy, that he's here and that he can be experienced. And then for the rest of us, I want to just agree together for the type of church we want to be. We want to be a church that's built by the Spirit. We believe that unless the, the Spirit builds a house, unless the Lord builds a house, the laborers work in vain. Amen? So can you agree with me in that? So let's pray. Father, right now, we praise you and we bless you. We thank you for the good gift of your Spirit. We thank you, Lord, that you have not abandoned us. We thank you, Lord, that you didn't stop at just dying for our sins and raising for our life. But Jesus, you poured out your spirit upon us and you have given us the power of life in our day-to-day existence, that you have poured out that gift. And Jesus, you told us that you would never withhold it from us. You told us that the Father is good and that he won't hold back good gifts. But anybody who asks for the Holy Spirit, the Father will give it to them. So Lord, I pray for the one who's here that's maybe never tasted, never experienced, never actually thought that this was any more than just believing the right stuff. Lord, I pray that you would set them up this week to have an encounter with you where they just know you are there, that you're in the room, you're with them, Lord. I pray that they, in some way you'd surprise them, Lord. I pray for surprises this week where they'd see that, oh, like Jacob, surely God was in this place and I was not aware. Would they have a moment like that? So I pray for just a multitude of surprises, Lord, for the one who's never experienced you, or God, for the rest of us who who are hungry for you, Lord. I pray for more surprises, that we'd see you in ways that we'd never seen you before, and we'd experience you in ways that we'd never experienced you before. And Lord, I pray for this house. Would this be a church built by the Spirit? Lord, would, would styles come and go? Would the shape and the form, it can change and it can move and mold, Lord. But I pray that the, 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 the congruent culture of this church is a, is, is a hotbed for the Holy Spirit. That we would be people who walk in power, we speak in power, that you're transforming us in power. That, that God, that we, we actually live and move in the very tangible presence of God. Lord, would, would the renown of this church not be that there's a preacher there or there's a people there or that there's a band there or their, their, their leaders or whatever. Would 
people know this church because the presence of God dwells here? Would people come and draw, be drawn to this church because there is the fire of the Holy Spirit that burns within us? Lord, would it be tangible when people walk into this building, when they walk into the Cineplex Theater, Lord, would it be tangible when you walk in that there's something going on here and it has nothing to do with what I'm seeing right now? Lord, would you rest upon us? Would you build this house? Would we do this by the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray? Would we be a people marked by the seal of your spirit? We pray this in the mighty, matchless name of Jesus. Would you pour out your spirit upon us, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. I want you to just, don't rush out. One more quick invitation. Uh, I'm gonna come down here with some other pastors and some other prayer warriors. For some of you, you need to take a chance to respond. We're going to sing a song and you can respond in your seat. But for some of you, you need to take a step and you need to just receive prayer. We want to lay hands on you that you would receive the Holy Spirit. Maybe some of you have never taken that step. And this is the first time you need to do that. And you know that you need to come forward as we sing. We want to pray for you. We've got a whole bunch of people. Last night, God was moving in tangible ways. And I want to invite you to come do that. Maybe some of you for the first time, or maybe for some of you, you just need a fresh touch. At one point in your life, you knew God and you experienced him, but over time, it's just kind of leaked and waned. The Bible says there's mercies new every morning. Would you come forward and we'll pray for you and we'll lay hands on you and we'll ask that the spirit of God would rest upon you and in you. So as we sing, invite the Holy Spirit to dwell here and would you come forward and we'll pray for you as we sing. Let's sing.